Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. We are getting a slew of headlines out of Amazon. For that, we're going to go to Dom Chu. Dom- a few weeks back, Amazon's president and CEO, Jeff Bezos, walked into the National Press Club to a room full of reporters and dramatically pulled down a curtain, revealing the words, the climate pledge, Paris, 10 years early. He is pledging Amazon will be one of the first companies, if not the first company, to meet the Paris Climate Accords and Climate Pledges 10 years early by the year 2040, outlining a number of steps. Our actually social editor sent me a tweet and it was Jeff Bezos, you know, a picture of him and and a quote about 100,000 electric vehicles. And I was like, what is going on? Luis Mitsakis covers Amazon for Wired. Also interesting here, the idea that they have said that they will order 100,000 new electric delivery vans. Our transportation reporters were like, that is so many electric vehicles. Like that's, we've never heard anything like that before. Like, Luis, do you know what's going on? And I was like, I have no idea what's going on. For the last few months, Louise has been talking to Amazon employees, engineers and product designers, people who've been pressuring Bezos to shift how he approaches climate change. So as she watched this press conference, she says it felt like he'd heard them. Um, You know, we've been in the middle of the herd on this issue and we want to move to the forefront. We want to be leaders. We want to say, look, if a company of Amazon's complexity, scale, scope, physical infrastructure, delivering 10 billion items can do this, so can you. The initial reports looked really good, right? Like the breaking news was like, Amazon is doing all this amazing stuff. And it took a couple of hours for reporters like me to scramble and say like, wait, this isn't what the employees demanded. There are still a lot of questions here. It's not clear whether Amazon will really be able to meet these goals or not. So the day after Jeff Bezos made this big announcement about how Amazon is going green and and reaching all these climate initiatives, what happened? Almost 2,000 of his employees around the world actually walked out because they said that these initiatives weren't enough and they still want Amazon to do more to combat climate change. Today on the show, the fiercest critics of Amazon's new climate policy, maybe inside the company itself. And it turns out they think their work is far from over. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, listener, we've got a big favor to ask. One of our advertisers is conducting a survey. We would be grateful for your help with answering a few of their questions. It'll take less than 10 minutes of your time and your participation helps the show. Go to slatestudy.com to complete the short survey now. Thanks. I feel like a lot of people think about Amazon as the people who sell you books and maybe paper towels. I wonder if we can talk a little bit about the breadth of Amazon's business, how much they do, to just understand how big a player they are in the world of climate change. Yeah, I think a good figure to start with to understand Amazon's just massive reach is that, you know, there are something like 50 or 60,000 employees at Facebook, which seems like a really big company, right? There are 600,000 Amazon employees around the world. So it's 10 times the size. And it's not just this retail website, which is what I think a lot of consumers know about. It's They have AWS, which is Amazon Web Services, which is their um, cloud computing arm. And I don't think people realize that almost every website you visit is powered by AWS. Yeah, Netflix is powered by AWS, Airbnb, like really familiar household names. Exactly. And there was a couple of internet outages a couple years ago. And that was when people started to realize like, oh, so much of this infrastructure is interconnected and it's connected through AWS often. You know, Amazon has so many other things that you don't think about. Like they have a a doorbell company that sells surveillance doorbell cameras that they bought for $800 million. They have their own fleets of delivery vehicles. They have all sorts of their own products that they make. You know, you might not realize when you buy something on Amazon, you're actually buying it from Amazon. It's just under a household brand name. Um, There are just so many different things that they do. And and that's part of the reason that their carbon footprint is so large. So Given that we know they're doing so much, how much do we know about their carbon footprint? So unlike 7,000 major corporations around the world, Amazon doesn't report their carbon footprint to the CDP, which is the Carbon Disclosure Project. This is a UK nonprofit, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Coca-Cola, Bank of America, these big corporations not only report their carbon footprint according to you know a standard methodology, but they also report things like how they think that climate change will affect their business, all sorts of questions that they voluntarily answer that Amazon has just said, you know what, we're not going to participate in that. But then we learned that they were starting to disclose some information. What did they tell us? So they reveal for the first time that according to their own methodology, their carbon footprint is 44.4 metric tons, which basically, according to one expert, puts them in the 150 to 200 top emitters in the world. So they're kind of in the same ranks as the big oil and gas companies, much larger than uh, the other tech companies that we kind of group them with often, like you know the Apple or the Google or the Facebooks. This disclosure, it was all a part of that big climate pledge Amazon announced last week. Louise says without Amazon's own employees keeping the pressure on, that announcement It might not have happened at all. So I wanted to know more about the people behind this effort. What's motivating them? They're taking on their boss's boss's boss. 
So I asked Louise, why? A lot of these employees talk about how when they go into a meeting with their bosses, if they can't answer, you know, questions about when are you going to have this done? When when is this going to be ready? What is like, you know, Q1 goal for this? Uh, they get in trouble. You know, like that's not acceptable. But when it comes to the environment, Amazon has just kind of been really vague with them, has not given them a lot of answers. So they thought that there was an inconsistency there. You know, they, they thought that this is unacceptable in my job. Why is this acceptable for the company to, to not care about these things? And, and a lot of them, you know, I talked to an engineer, for example, who works with uh, Amazon's fleet of cargo planes. And when she took that job, she really thought that they were going to start working on electric planes. And that just hasn't happened. Why did she think she was working on electric planes? Was it that the business was going in a different direction when she started or was it just that she thought, well, of course, they'd be doing that here. I think that a lot of these employees join Amazon um, and they're pretty idealistic and they think I'm joining the most innovative company in the world. And I think that they were really disappointed to see that this company wasn't innovating on the environment. And I think that they also, you know, they come from other Silicon Valley firms like, you know, Google's been carbon neutral for a long time. Facebook's really close. Apple has all these environmental initiatives. I don't think that those companies are perfect on the environment, but they just seem so far ahead compared to Amazon. Hmm. So one of the reasons why the employees are powerful here is that they're not just employees. At least some of them are stockholders. So how did they find each other and how did they decide to kind of use that power? Yeah. So I think what's really interesting here is that they kind of came up with an innovative uh, form of activism. Usually shareholder activism is reserved for like industry investors or, you know, like socially conscious investment group or socially conscious investment firm or something like that who pressures a company like Amazon to care more about social justice or care more about the environment. Yeah, I've always heard about like the group of nuns who go to the shareholder meeting and they try to get folks on their side. That's exactly what was on my mind. Exactly the same, those kinds of groups. So what was interesting about this movement is that it wasn't just current employees, but it was also former employees. And they started talking to each other about, you know, we think that this company should be doing more on the environment. How can we do that? And I think that they had watched companies like Google, Facebook, employees at those organizations who were also walking out, who were also uh, engaging in forms of activism to protest issues like sexual harassment, to protest issues like contracts with uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. And I think that they were kind of in that environment and they said, hey, what can we do? We want to tackle climate change, but we're going to do it in this unique way. So last December, they filed this shareholder resolution. What did they ask for? Uh, It was pretty simple. They wanted to force Amazon to release a report that would detail how it planned to combat climate change and how the business planned to deal with it in the future. So what happened when they did this? I mean, they're going to their boss and basically saying, hey, we work here, but we also have some power in the company and we want you to change. I really don't think that the company liked it. So they formally advised shareholders to vote no. So they 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 said, we don't like this resolution. We don't think it'd be a good idea for shareholders to adopt it. So they started kind of fighting back against it, but then they really actually very directly tried to shut it down. So Amazon announced this much smaller initiative earlier this year called Shipment Zero, which is that they want 50% of shipments, you know, like the the prime shipment that comes to your door in two days, to be carbon neutral by 2030. So it's kind of a small goal, but it's something. And it was one of their first environmental initiatives in a couple of years. So they announced that And then the next day, uh, this top lawyer at Amazon reaches out to these employees and says, hey, you know, did you see shipment zero? Would you consider rescinding your resolution now? What did they say? Uh, They said no. And what they actually did is that they went public. So they disclosed that to The New York Times and they published 
an open letter to Jeff Bezos uh, asking for the resolution to be adopted and invited their coworkers to sign on. Thousands of employees did sign on. Their resolution didn't end up passing, but 30 percent of shareholders ended up voting for it, even though they'd been explicitly advised not to. I think the resolution helped demonstrate that there were like business interests for this, because I think that's a great way for the employees to get Amazon's attention to say like, hey, like, you know, like this is going to impact our profits in the future. We have to have a plan for how we're going to deal with this. Like it's not even just about, you know, the environment and about all of our lives. It's also about like the health of this business in the future. Like what are we going to do when an AWS server goes down because an area overheats or there's a hurricane and and we lose AWS service. They had all these very legitimate business questions. And I think that was kind of what the resolution was about. And despite the fact that it failed, it was still kind of this galvanizing moment. So after this initial skirmish with shareholders, this group sort of came up with a, a list of demands that was really concrete and has been pushing for them ever since. And I want to go through what those demands are because I think it's going to help listeners understand just how deeply involved Amazon is in climate issues. So one of their first demands is that Amazon should stop donating to politicians and lobbying groups that deny climate change. So can you explain a little bit how is Amazon involved in the political discussion about climate change? Yeah, so Amazon Employees for Climate Justice, which is the group that organized the walkout on Friday, by their estimates, Amazon donated to 68 members of Congress last year who uh, have voted consistently against climate change legislation. Uh, but there was this moment earlier this year that I think really catalyzed this for the employees who who walked out. So what happened is that the New York Times reported that Amazon had paid $15,000 to sponsor an event by the Competitive Enterprise Institute, which is this libertarian think tank that has um, really sowed doubt about the consensus on climate change for for decades. You know, they paid for these advertisements in the early 2000s that said that fossil fuels were like great and 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 that you know carbon was this super important thing for the environment and it was great that we were admitting it into the atmosphere and that that was you know like a natural wonderful thing. And, and I think that that was really this moment where the employees said like, what are we doing here? I guess just to push back, some would say, well. You give these donations and it gives you a seat at the table. Like you could potentially change how these politicians or political groups think or act. Right. So that was what Amazon's argument was. We're supporting them on other issues that we care about. You know, you know, it's not about climate change here. It's about other things that the Competitive Enterprise Institute does. But the Competitive Enterprise Institute came back and said, yeah, this donation is a reflection that you agree with our values. Political donations aren't the only thing employees are arguing against. They also want Amazon Web Services to stop courting clients in the oil and gas industry. An investigation by Gizmodo earlier this year showed Amazon was pursuing these clients aggressively and promising to help them find oil faster, recover more oil, and reduce the cost per barrel. And I think that that was really shocking for a lot of employees. And what actually happened is that in one of the meetings that the group of workers that filed the shareholder resolution had with Amazon, the head of sustainability was there and they brought this up to her and she was like, oh, I didn't I didn't know about that. So, you know, it seems uh, hypocritical, right? You know, on one hand, on one hand, you're saying to Greenpeace, like, oh, yeah, we're working on that. But on the other side of your mouth, you're saying, hey, please come you know, buy from AWS. We'll help you 
accelerate climate change. And this request, the request that Amazon stop working with oil and gas, this is something that Jeff Bezos and Amazon have really pushed back on. Even just in his speech announcing these new climate goals, he specifically said, I'm going to keep working with these people. Yeah. And I think it was really kind of an empty promise. He was like, we're going to keep working with oil and gas, especially as they make these transitions. And I don't think that there's a lot of evidence, actually, that oil and gas companies are significantly investing in renewable energy. Most of these companies, it's like, you know, a fraction of their investment is going towards things like wind and solar. So I think the idea that all of the oil and gas companies that Amazon is working with are making a you know, good faith effort to fully transition away from fossil fuels is not true. There's a third demand that employees are rallying behind. It's about Amazon's carbon emissions. In its new climate pledge, the company has said it will be 100% carbon neutral by 2040. But activists want more. They want Amazon to put out zero carbon emissions as soon as possible. And I don't think that they want that because it seems super ambitious or, or because it seems, you know, they, they don't, they're not trying to give Amazon a goal that Amazon can't make. They're not trying to make uh, unrealistic demands. They're looking at the science and they're saying this is what is necessary to save the planet. Activists have their eye on one more thing. How Jeff Bezos holds his company accountable and who decides when Amazon has reached their climate goals. There's something else I keep noticing in this Amazon story, which is Amazon's continual push to be in charge of its own accountability. Um, You mentioned before how Amazon doesn't submit its carbon information to this nonprofit in the UK, and they really want to set their own standards and, you know, be in charge of their own accountability. (laughs) One thing they did when they made this announcement this past week is they said, we're not going to join other companies in their already existing climate efforts. We're going to do our own thing, this climate pledge. I just wonder how the workers think about that, because in one way it is being a leader, but in another way, it's not really being a good citizen. Yeah, I thought it was really strange when I heard this climate pledge, because there was a corporate climate pledge connected to the Paris Accord that the Obama administration organized, which like over 100 corporations signed on to, including Amazon. So they're already part of this other climate pledge in the U.S. And now they're making up their own. So it is kind of strange, but it's such a through line in my Amazon reporting that this company really wants to be in control. Like they want to control their third party sellers. They want to control their employees. They want to they want to be the ones to decide how these things are done. And I think this is just really a continuation of that. And it allows them to shape the narrative, right? They get to decide what the climate pledge entails. They made that the requirements of that something that they knew that they could meet. And there's no outside accountability. Hmm. So I'm sure you spoke to the striking Amazon employees after they walked out. What did they say about the experience and, and what they do from here? Yeah, I think that it's kind of unclear exactly what they're going to do next. I don't think that they're going anywhere. They seem really rejuvenated. They seem really encouraged by how it went. And I think what's going to be really interesting to watch in particular is some of these international offices. Like what was so fascinating to me is that it really wasn't just this thing that was concentrated in Seattle. You know, I talked to an employee who led the walkout in Toronto. There were employees in Berlin. There were employees in other parts of Europe. And I think that what kind of comes next is can these corporate employees who are highly compensated, who have very technical jobs, can they connect their activism to the needs and desires of the warehouse workers, right? Can this be a 
unified movement. And I think that they've tried to make these connections, right? You know, for example, earlier this year when there was a cold snap and uh, a bunch of Amazon employees in the North in the U.S. were sent home from work and they weren't paid. And what Amazon employees for climate justice said is, hey, that is not only a labor issue, that is a climate justice issue. So we're going to connect those things together and we're going to push for those employees to be compensated because it's not their fault that climate change is happening and that the winters are getting worse. So I think it's can you make those connections over and over again and can you engage larger parts of the workforce? Because right now this movement has had a lot of impact, but it's still really only encompasses such a small portion of Amazon's workforce. And I think that's what comes next is can you broaden this? And also, can you continue to hold Amazon accountable? It made all these flashy promises. Is it going to keep them? Luis Matsakis, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Luis Matsakis covers Amazon for Wired. We reached out to Amazon for comment about this story. A spokesman referred us to Bezos' comments at the National Press Club and to the company's Climate Pledge website. The spokesman added that Amazon's carbon footprint analysis was audited by a third-party company. All right, that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Mara Silvers, and Danielle Hewitt. One more thing before we go. I want you to reach out to me and let me know what's on your mind as you watch the impeachment inquiry play out in D.C. What questions do you have? Is there someone you want us to talk to real bad? Just tweet at me. I'm at Mary's desk. All right. We will talk to you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS, we are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.